I think it'll be a very powerful display of overcoming and triumph, which kind of what the Olympics are anyway. Mesdames et messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Hello and welcome to another episode of Keep the Flame Alive, the podcast for fans of the Olympics and Paralympics. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? Happy New Year! <laughs> Happy New Year! 2020 is going away! <laughs> 2020 is going away! Yay! I know how you feel. Don't let the door hit you in the tushy. Yeah, right. Oh, my goodness. So we cannot say goodbye to 2020 fast enough. It has been one crazy year that I don't think anyone saw coming. But uh, to round it out, we're going to do our first ever contributor roundtable. So Which made us feel so much better it about did. this year, I have to say. It did, because Book Club Claire and Superfan Sarah are great, and they joined us to talk about the biggest Olympic and Paralympic stories of the year. Take a listen. Ah, we are so excited to end the year with a little contributor roundtable. So we have with us uh, Book Club Claire and Superfan Sarah. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us. The year in Olympics, man, <laughs> we thought we'd be talking about Tokyo. Well, we are going to talk about Tokyo, but more in a, oh my gosh, can you believe that happened? Well, I guess we would talk about that too. Can you believe <laughs> Tokyo didn't happen? But looking back, it's not surprising that they postponed it. But when the postponement actually happened, what were you thinking? I was thinking it was the right decision. I feel like it was only inevitable the organizing committee kept saying, oh, it'll happen. It'll happen. But I think anyone could see the writing on the wall that there was no way. And I was grateful that they postponed it instead of trying to proceed. Because when you think about how many athletes have been affected worldwide and their training schedules disrupted, I think it was better to hurry up and try to get that announcement out than delay it even more. Yeah. Hindsight being what it was, it, it was definitely a good decision. But when it happened, I was super cranky for a few days. I just, you know, all of the work that I had put into planning, I, I'm so happy that the tickets came over, but I didn't get refunds on some of my Airbnb reservations. And I had to spend months waiting to see if my airline stuff was going to work out. It did. Thank goodness. So I think it was more of the planning person in me going, oh, I don't want to go through all this again. But I guess I, I haven't even done that much now just to see if they're going to be allowing him in. But yeah, it was the right decision for, for sure, seeing where we are even at this point in December. Now, are you both planning to still go? Yes. What are you thinking now? Claire, you're still going. I, I am if they allow me to. We don't have a decision yet. We do still have our tickets. When they started issuing refunds for the event tickets, we held on to them. So we're kind of waiting to see how the next few months go with jobs and see if we can afford to go to be honest. And I think a lot of people are probably in that same position that 
logistics, we just don't know. I'm kind of with Claire where there is definitely some grieving that was done when the cancellation notice came out. But yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. And like Claire said, if we're even allowed to go, we may not even have the choice. The choice may be made for us. Right. And it's interesting when they accepted refunds and I held on to my tickets too, because we would still like to go, but that's all we have is tickets. I'm mm-hmm. not going through the hassle of booking an air flight until I know I can go or trying to find hotel yet. But I'm curious to see what happens if the organizing committee says, yeah, these, this group of fans cannot come. And if we fell into that group. So what's the process then? Do they reopen refunds or does somebody like CoSport will take refunds and then just try to resell those tickets? Well, they might even be like, okay, your seat is just not going to be filled because of social distancing or something like that. Right. And we're spending money to help the cause, I guess. Oh, don't know. I want my money back. (laughs) (laughs) You give me my money. (laughs) I would would want that money back as well. I mean, I feel bad. So looking ahead to Tokyo 2021 or Tokyo, let's be like uh, T-Bock and say Tokyo 2020 and 2021. What are you looking forward to? So this is the optimistic side of me. I am looking forward to if we have the Olympics, that means that things have gotten better. And so it's not just about the Olympics, but it is about the unity that hopefully will be on display. (laughs) I mean, let's just be honest about that. But y'all know that I spent several summers in Tokyo and I remember being there when they were putting in the plans for this. I remember how they chose the areas to to really spotlight as part of their healing after the tsunami and the earthquake and um, the catastrophe of that and how it was going to be a great opportunity to signal how far they've come. And so on a more international scale, by having athletes there from around the world, I'm hoping that it'll be a display of like we, this has been a horrible thing that the pandemic has just been catastrophic beyond what I think a lot of us thought it would be. Um, And it's, we know that it's still not over. It sadly seems far from over, but with progress that's being made and just seeing what can happen over the next few months, I'm hopeful that it'll be a display of overcoming And I feel like we see that with so many athletes anyway. I think a lot of the human interest stories, which I'm such a sucker for, I can't deny it. I think it'll be a very powerful display of overcoming and triumph, which kind of what the Olympics are anyway. Right. I wrote an article about this a couple months ago. I think it was during, it was like right before the election that it's so fitting that a presidential election comes the same year as the Summer Olympics because it it, show, it gives you that display of unity before you have to progress into something that, that is kind of divisive, especially this year. So the fact that we didn't have that moment of unity, it just it didn't it, it wasn't the cause of all of the divisiveness that in our nation. But it really didn't help that we didn't have that kind of unity saying, OK, we're all Americans. We're united in supporting these people. So I'm hoping that with the Olympics in the future, the people that are able to attend and to watch, to see all these countries that all had to deal with this. It wasn't, I mean, a lot of focus is put on Americans and how it was dealt with, but everybody has had to suffer through this, no matter how big or small. And yeah, I, I have thought about like sitting in the Olympic stadium, the, the track and field stadium with people from all over the world and just how am I, how are my emotions going to be played with at that point? Because man, I could be a blubbering mess for most of, most of the, uh, the meets and stuff. 
get that uh, Procter and Gamble contract going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, y'all! The ads, the ads are gonna kill me. <laughs> They're gonna go all out this year. <sighs> if it was like, oh, we waited so long, and now it's here, and uh, you know, and it's like, nope, this. Uh, sorry, faucet, turn the faucet off. Won't stop. Yeah, I wonder if we're gonna very quickly go into emotional manipulation fatigue. You know, because they always do the heavy-handed advertising and they always do the heavy-handed human interest stories. Mm -hmm. But now they have a pandemic to work with. But I would argue, I mean, everybody's got a pandemic story. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. choose which pandemic story is more worthy than someone else's. So that's something else that broadcasters who do do that format have to deal with. Yeah, that's true. Um, Something I just thought about, and this is kind of a rabbit trail, a shocker, but I'm thinking about where we'll be as a world when the Olympics finally do happen. And think about all the people working from home. They're going to get to watch the Olympics probably more than ever before. Because I mean, my bosses know if I'm not going to the Olympics, I take time off work during the Olympics to sit at home and watch when there's a time difference. That is not a secret. So I, yeah, I'm just thinking, I think there might be a lot of emotions because maybe people who have never watched the Olympics actually get to watch it and enjoy it because they're working from home. Right. It's something different and something that everybody can talk about as well. Yeah. I think a helpful thing is for the organizing committee to see other sports go first and figure out how to put on an event during a pandemic. So even though we will hopefully be at the tail end by the time that Tokyo goes off, they can put on this mega, the you know, the biggest sporting event in the world. They'll know how to put that on at the same time. Right. The other issue with Tokyo not happening this year is that everybody's having money issues in terms of federations and national Olympic committees. And people. And people. So how how will that affect the whole system going forward? There's going to need to be a lot of changes within. It's going to be slow, though. You know, those those organizing committees like the luxuries that they have. Um, I'm thinking more of the higher ups, not the actual athletes that need that money. But depending on who gets to go to the Olympics, the limitations that there might be for that, there's going to be a lot of resistance just because they like that luxury and they don't want to give it up. And I think that in the long run, the athletes are probably going to get the best benefit uh, as is deserved, but it's going to, it's going to take a little bit because, you know, five-star hotels might not be there or might not be available to them uh, or the amount of time that they get to stay in Tokyo might not be available to them either. Yeah, I agree with that. I think from the money-making side of things and thinking about advertisers and what their budgets may look like compared to years past, I think it's going to be really interesting to see the creativity come out. I mean, we even think about, y'all were there, when NBC reached out to me during the beginning of the pandemic and was like, hey, can you get some people online for a Zoom call? And Nastia joined us and that was really fun. But like we know that that was also them being creative to try to get some some traction on social media and on NBC sports. And I have no problem just in case anyone's listening. I will always be that person to (laughs) use me. You like, let's go. You can always do that. But I also know it's, it's part of the strategy. So I think it'll be interesting to see 
you know, I think about Team USA, even as their governing body, they're obviously, because we live in the US, that's who I tend to pay the most attention to just because it's in my face more than any other country. I think about, you know, going into 2018, they flew me to New York as Team USA's number one fan. They don't have the budget for that. Um, So how do they really get that fan interaction now that they don't have? I mean, are they going to do a road to Tokyo tour? Are they going to? What does that even look like? So I am really interested. I'm also an event planner as my job. So I'm very curious to see how they plan all these interactive elements leading up to Tokyo. Yeah, Jill and I have been talking about that because we were at that event in New York and racked up a whole bunch of interviews with athletes. And they're not going to be able to do that in April because that would be 100 days out. There's just no way they're going to be safely flying those athletes around the country or the journalists all in one place. No. So are we going to do virtual days? And is that going to have the same impact in our as many reporters going to show up and be covering the games. They just physically can't. So even though there may be more people home watching, there may be fewer media outlets covering the games. But actually, I would disagree with that because I think the fact that the IOC meetings have gone online and the press conferences have gone online, way more journalists are tuning in because they don't have to be there and they can still get their questions answered. Before it was, we will live stream the press conference, but only people in-house could ask questions. So now you're, they're like, oh, wow, there's like 175, 200 journalists here. And there are just way more people. And granted, it's a lot harder to get your question answered, but I think the access is a little bit better. So True. what does it mean for media covering the, the games? I, I don't know. There's a difference between attracting media journalism, uh, like you were talking about, where it, it might be going up because of the, the access, and attracting fans, where if you keep doing Zoom calls, well, they've been doing Zoom calls for school, or they've been doing Zoom calls for work, and they're sick of that. They want something tangible. So trying to think of maybe regional events or invite only or RSVP kind of things, that's going to be where or organized committees, sponsors, even, I think Oreo usually sponsors that the tour around. Mm-hmm. So they have to really get creative to make sure that people who are sick of doing these kinds of things where like we're doing right now with the online stuff uh, can still access things and enjoy it and get excited. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, like I said, my job is I'm an event planner and we're finding the same thing, even at a smaller level. I mean, we're obviously not trying to reach the masses with Olympic information, but we're finding that if it's something that is actually interactive in person, face to face, even from a social distance, we're going to have a ton more people that are interested and engaged than, oh, something else I have to log on for. And what is Deanna Price going to do? She's a hugger. How are we going to deal with all the huggers? It's going to be rough on the huggers. <laughs> well, there's that just rough. there's news out of Michigan today. You know, they just sent out the first trucks of the vaccine out of Kalamazoo, which is like 45, 50 minutes away from me. That's big, big headlines right now. So vaccines are starting this week. My brother-in-law, who's a doctor, is getting his vaccine, his first shot this week. So there are positive steps here. And I think that the hugging and the, the handshakes, 
could be less, you know, you're not like for a track and field person, you're not going to be shaking every single person's hand maybe, but I think there's still going to be some sort of way to interact with each other, whether it's a high five or something else. Uh, I pray. I really hope so. Yeah. No, I think that's a good point. And I've seen people speculate, what does the Olympic Village look like? Will there be COVID testing? Is it going to be the NBA bubble situation? And if that's the case, I mean, when you're excited and you want to hug somebody, chances are they're probably in the same bubble as you. What I envision is that it won't be, you know, as much like, oh my gosh, I want a gold medal. Let me go high five everyone in the stands. So yeah, Claire, I I think you're right with that, that there will still be huggings and high fives and something that we haven't done in a long time. People will be able to do that in Tokyo, I think, based on, I mean, even though not everyone is super responsible, but based on personal responsibility where, you know, whatever they're comfortable with, and hopefully they hug people that are also comfortable with hugging right now. (laughs) Huggers need to move up on the priority list. We Mm. are not okay. It's true. Looking at two of the big sporting issues from this year, weightlifting and boxing, both in big trouble for their hopes of staying on the Olympic program. Boxing still scheduled for Tokyo at this moment and weightlifting on the program for 2024, but really condensed down and still could get kicked off. What do you think about what's going on with those two sports? I think they have had so many years of being ingrained in the kind of the way that things are, whether it's at the top with how they maybe let things slide or they are working with people that maybe they shouldn't be working with, all the way down to the athletes themselves who are doping or who are listening to their coaches and their coaches are telling them to do the things that they shouldn't be doing and they're just listening to them. I think that it's happened for so long. I mean, we're still getting results from from London eight years ago and maybe even Beijing. I don't, I, you know, it's, I become so callous to it because something comes up every month or two that steps need to be made. I think reducing the program is a good start for both sports. I think that things really need to change and seeing the same people kind of taking over and over, someone new has to get in there and inject some different things. I mean, you can wag your finger as much as you want at them, but um, unless you start putting your foot down, then things are going to keep going that way. Well, it was interesting in weightlifting because they did have an interim president from the United States who basically got kicked out because she was trying to change things and the rest of the board didn't seem to agree with that because they'd have to change their ways and they didn't they didn't want to. Yeah, I Claire, I mean, I agree with everything that you said. I think it'll not to jump too far ahead, but I think it'll be interesting to see with the future events that are being introduced into the Olympics, <laughs> break dancing, as things like that happen, it'll be interesting to see if they're able to even maintain a spot in the games. But like Claire said, when you have the same people and it seems that, I don't know, if they were much more of a prominent sport, would so much be tolerated for so long. And I think we all probably, well, I don't know. Gymnastics is a popular sport and we know how that has turned out. So (laughs) yeah, I I think it's make or break time for them and hopefully positive change happens. I enjoy weightlifting. I like following the sport. So I want it to stay. I want it to stick around, but I also know that things have to be better. So is that our segue to talk about Paris 2024 (laughs) program? 
Oui, oui. So thoughts and opinions on, on the, the announced program for Paris. Shrug. 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 Yeah. I Like we were just talking about, I'm glad that they reduced the program events for the sports that are having issues right now. When it comes to breakdancing, that's a, just a giant publicity stunt that is unnecessary. It's it, you're, you're starting to toe the line of, well, if we allow this, then we should also allow this. Esports is going to start putting their toe in that water and saying, well, we should be an Olympic sport too. Yeah, it, they've got money that they, they can do that. It's it that's starting to become an issue where I do think that things need to be cut. Although maybe not necessarily sport climbing. I think that's a good one. You know, the, the some of the new programs that are coming into Tokyo first, I think are good. But, you know, sailing, I still am not a fan of sailing. That one and equestrian, I think while you're adding more things, you got to start getting rid of a few even if it does break people's hearts. I'm for the more the merrier, keep them all. But no, I do get your point though, Claire. So in a similar way with breakdancing, I kind of just shrug or I rolled my eyes. I got asked about that this week by friends um, on what my opinion was. And, you know, I did do some research on it. And knowing that I am ignorant to breakdancing in general, I mean, I know what it is. I might know more from doing research on it than the average person, but it's not something I have followed for a very long time. But I saw some people within the breakdancing movement talking about how this could be a ticket for people of color um, and people that are in poor communities to be able to find an avenue um, and use something that they're talented at. Uh, So it kind of was an interesting perspective that maybe this helps make sports more equal at the same time. If we have breakdancing, then why are we not adding ballet or <laughs> anything like that? And, you know, historically, art was at one point part of the Olympics. So I don't want to be closed-minded to it. I'm open to the idea. I hope that it does not come at the expense of softball because I was very mad when that one got taken away. But that's just me. Have you both chosen your B-girl names yet? Oh, I've had one for a while. Um, my brother-in-law calls me C-pipes. Hey, because, beca- because I'm an organist by trade, he likes to call me C pipes, and I, I've stuck with that one for a long time. Very I got nice. No- I got nothing. Okay, we got to work on Sarah's because I am small defender, and I can't remember what mine is. Yeah, you can come up with something for me, Allison. Okay, I'm gonna work on that. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you talk about making sport more equitable in terms of cost barrier to entry, and breakdancing does really seem to be oh, you just need to, you know, have clothes on mm. and a parachute. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean yeah. like, oh, I have to have a special uniform. I mean, there's probably something that they all prefer wearing. I We've got to dig into the breakdancing rules and see what the dress code is. I mean, but that could be very good for the Olympic movement that traditionally has very expensive sports like equestrian or shooting is phenomenally expensive. But if somebody could see themselves coming up and, and having an opportunity, I think that's probably a good thing. Whether it's breakdancing, I don't know. But mm-hmm. it, Isn't it interesting, though, that some of the most expensive sports are the ones that seem to be more exclusive? You know, as, you know, 100 years ago, the rich white men would 
be able to afford these things. And now that expense just seems to be climbing. And when you, and I like what Sarah said, when you put in something like breakdancing, that does become more inclusive as to, you know, the urban sector and, you know, African-Americans and Latino Americans and, and, and all over the world too. I, I, I sorry, politics <laughs> makes me think of just America. But when it comes to all over the world, when you're hitting those urban sectors, it does it does involve a lot of a lot more people. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what kind of country representation Breakin has when we finally get it in Paris. So I don't know. I'm I'm very curious about that element. That's one one good thing about breakdancing. The the bad thing is we're going to hear that oh breakdancing's in the Olympics for the next four years. Yeah. Well, and I. I think it's interesting that it's going to start in Paris because I don't know if y'all have ever been to Paris, but there are street dancers all over the place. And I spent a lot of time in neighborhoods that were not where the Eiffel Tower was. I spent time in neighborhoods full of refugees from North Africa in the Middle East. And it was really interesting. A lot of the people that were in those neighborhoods, they we're breakdancing and, you know, doing it for tips and kind of like what you see in movies where someone does it and hopes that they can provide for their families that way. So, and, and there's a lot of international cities. It's not just Paris, but I think it's interesting that, that it will debut in Paris and as opposed to maybe Tokyo where maybe there, yeah, it's there, but I don't know. I don't know. It, it's just going to be interesting. So I'm open-minded to it. Just don't take away softball again. We got to get other countries winning in softball. That was the problem. Yeah. And I hear that. And I don't necessarily disagree with that perspective, but still. Are we going to talk about Rule 50? Yeah, let's talk about Rule 50. We all are Americans and we all do still reside in America. So we're going to have an American perspective. But Rule 50 being the no protest rule. Mm hmm. And there's been a lot of controversy this year. So what do you think about the controversy? What do you think? Where do you think they're going to land? And as of this recording, which is uh, December 13th, the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee has come out with the fact that they will not sanction athletes who choose to protest on podiums. So your thoughts? I think that the U.S. took a good stance on it. And I think it took a long time. When you look back at the Pan American Games last year, seems like such a long time ago, when Gwen Berry was sanctioned for raising her fist when she won a medal. And then all of a sudden when protests were happening and the USOPC said, we support these protests. And Gwen Berry came back and said, well, what about me? You know, it was kind of you were lauding one thing, but condemning it at the same time. So I think that they're finally just getting their ducks in a row and saying, this is what we're going to start standing for. And when you think of how protests and how people have been able to stand up for themselves this past year, just looking at this past year, that they treated it properly and they took a good stance. My one concern is where do protests become something where most of the world disagrees. Uh, mm -hmm. Now you start having issues that way. So I like where, Amer where the USOPC has made their stance, but I'm concerned that it might not translate all over the world that same way. Yeah, I, I was just pulling up the statement that was released this week because I couldn't remember. 
I think she said something to the effect, uh, and by she, I'm talking about Sarah Hirschland, the CEO of the USOPC. She's saying, we encourage you to support the IOC in their recent request for athlete feedback. And I don't know, I just remember reading her statement and thinking that the U.S. coming out saying that they're not going to sanction their athletes, that that's going to be a big thing for the IOC to have to consider. And yeah, that we as the USOPC, the United States cannot control what the IOC does, but we're big players. Like we can't, we can't lie. We send a lot of athletes. So it'll be interesting, but something I jumped to and I want to be careful not to get super political or anything, but think about what comes after Tokyo, Beijing winter Olympics, 2022. And if you pay attention to what's going on in China with different protests, with the Muslims that are being held in concentration camps, the Uyghurs, what is that going to look like in 2022? And we all know you got you to gotta look at where the money is. And will athletes be penalized if they protest China in China? And is the IOC going to support those athletes? Because there is so much that it's like, yeah, it's a no-brainer to want equality, or at least for most people, I think it's a no-brainer to desire equality and to want to stand up for that and to support our athletes that feel convicted to peacefully protest and use their platforms for that. But are they still going to receive the same support within China? Because I love China, but their government, very different than what we're used to here in our country. Right. And I always go back to what happens when you have, say, athletes from certain countries, you know, protesting that Israel shouldn't be allowed to compete, or the Russian athletes protesting against stances from the IOC. I mean, remember in Pyeongchang, where Russia won a medal, but of course, Russia was not allowed as a country. And the whole team broke out into singing the Russian anthem as a protest against the IOC. So do you allow that? Do you put something vague in, like we will allow protests that are aligned with the ideals of Olympism, which end up meaning kind of nothing, and they'll end up cherry picking who gets punished and who doesn't. So, you know, and I've said this before on the show that I absolutely see both sides, because you can't just have your protests. If you allow protests, you have to allow both sides. Mm-hmm. And education is the key. I think for some people, protest is a form of them making a statement. But for others, protest is a way of saying, you need to start looking into this more world. Mm -hmm. And I think if that's what the people want to do as they take the stand at the podium at the Olympics, they want to educate people as to the troubles that people are suffering. I applaud that. If it's for personal benefit, I don't know. But how do you judge that? Yeah, that that's a good point too. Uh, It's it's very. This is a very thin piece of string to be walking on. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that you brought up uh, Beijing 2022, Sarah, which is also a nice segue because we've been seeing word of boycott China or. IOC, please move the Olympics out of China, which isn't going to happen because the IOC basically does what they usually do and it's kind of wash their hands over, well, we don't really control what the government is doing and we're just our own little bubble within the country and within the bubble in our two weeks that we're there, everything is hunky-dory. And then we just leave and we don't need to, we can ignore the the stuff that's going on, basically. 
because why would they move the games from China? Why would they move a games that's almost ready to go just because something horrific is happening there unless, you know, a major war was going on and it would be deemed unsafe for the athletes. But I can totally see how if you allow protesting now, what happens if an athlete protests against the Chinese government on the podium, then leaves the village and disappears? Mm-hmm. Th- that could be very rough. And then what what happens? Looking forward to LA 28, how many people have issues with the American government around the world? And are we opening the door to all kinds of protests against the United States when it's on their home turf? I mean, France as well. I mean, because you're protected by those countries' freedom of speech, you don't have to worry about the same issue with China. But does it become a free-for-all protest where the host country then becomes a target? Yeah. And I mean, at least right now, I think I can confidently say it's, I think the difference there is that if you protest in Los Angeles against the United States, people might get mad at you, but you're not going to be at risk of losing your life the same way that you would in a place like China. They have such strict censorship and all of that. So, I mean, yeah, maybe some rando gets ticked off enough to go harm someone because they don't like what their protest was. But we have laws that if that were to happen, they would be in trouble. Yeah, no, I'm not making an equivalency there. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm more saying, are we taking away from the event? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Yeah. Is it just becoming protest central? And now you're taking away from what the Olympics is supposed to be about, which is the athletes. And I think Thomas Bach is trying to toe that line of saying, yes, that, you know, we need to put something in place, but we also want to make sure that the athletes and the sports and the events are the focus. And and the and honestly, the unity of of the world coming together. I, I tried it to separate sports and, and politics sometimes or sports and and you know international affairs. It's impossible. It's it, you can't do it. But you can make sure that people are aware that we are working together or the Olympics, the IOC is working together to try and put something out there that will unite people and bring people together and and share that common goal. I think that's something that they always try to say every single Olympics, whether people take that as yay, rah, rah, or we still are going to protest is really up to them. And in the 21st century that we live in right now, it's a crapshoot. So IOC in general, this has been a rough year for them. What's your thoughts on TBOC is sticking around now until what is it, tw- at least 2025? Mm-hmm. I believe so, yes. I think he's doing what he can with what he's got. I, I, I think that if any of the other former IOC chairmen were in charge, we might be a little more in trouble than we are right now. I think he gets it. I think he has a good head on his shoulders. Yeah, I agree. Because if anybody messes with him, he'll break out the sword. That's for darn sure. I don't know why he doesn't do that. Why he doesn't just bring it and put it on the table (laughs) at the events. I, if I was a fencer man, I would take that thing everywhere. I don't know if you'd be allowed to, Allison. Mm -hmm. Good thing he's not a shooter. (laughs) 
Okay, let me just bring my my uh, rifle with me and slam it down. Or worse, you'd be like an air rifle shooter and just bring the air rifle. <laughs> yeah, I'm not scared of that. But I bet you those things hurt if you do get shot with them. Sure. <laughs> All right. Any other thoughts about 2020 and the Olympics? In case anyone needs Olympic Oreos or Chips Ahoy, there's still plenty on the shelves. Yeah, I think that's the big thing to piggyback on that is if you want to support your Olympic athletes, you've got to support the people that sponsor them, the the companies, uh, because that's how they get a lot of their money. We can't go and watch them right now. Or if someone is like a content creator and has like a YouTube channel, you watch it, you subscribe to it. Just do what you can to support them, even though you can't go and watch them in person. Yeah, no, that's a really good point, Claire. And like you said, I I think that's interesting that you brought up content creators on Instagram. That's a big thing. I mean, I know we don't all want to see everyone's skincare routine and all that. But I think that that is a big thing is that it's free to follow people on social media. It's free to engage. It costs us literally nothing except for a click on our fingers. And not only you know, if you don't want to support the big companies, look at the athletes that you're able to support. And I know that we've all done that. But yeah, I think it's such a critical year. And whatever that looks like, maybe it's, you know, buying something through an affiliate link that you need for Christmas, or if you have extra airline miles, donating that to an athlete, something like that. But yeah, I think that's a really good point to think about supporting the athletes. But Going back to the Oreos, I'm curious to see if they stay on the shelf all year long until next year. They will probably still be tasty in July. (laughs) Okay, I have not seen any of these Oreos that you speak of. You've been speaking of them for like six months and I go to my shelves and I look and there's nothing there except like s'mores and then in October, Lemon. lemon, pumpkin. Never see any of these Team USA Oreos. So if you see any. I saw them for one month. And I missed them because there weren't that many. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll get them. Back. And never again. I guess we have to be in Texas. Maybe yeah. so. Just so you know, Target allegedly has Olympic Oreos and Chips Ahoy near me. So that's in Dallas. But yeah, I, I'm just curious if they produced only so many for this year or if they're like, well, let's just keep the Olympic spirit through next year because I feel like it'd be foolish of them. All the Olympic marketing if they just didn't try anything next year like come on y'all i need my red white and blue m&ms i gotta make all my treats not only do we have the olympics to look forward to next summer we've got to get through all the olympic trials that have not yet happened which we didn't even talk about alephine oh is she the marathon runner yes oh this is awesome go ahead and say that the girl with the baby yes how okay so when's the u.s marathon trials back in february before everything hit the fan And when she started reading the writing on the wall of, I don't know if this is going to happen, she realized that she had about a two-month window to get pregnant, decided to go for it, gets pregnant. She is due, I think, in January. Um, And she just now announced this pregnancy, I think, a week ago. And so she will be seven months postpartum at the Tokyo Olympics. And I just love everything about this. She's amazing. Yeah, before Tokyo was postponed, I had been talking about Tokyo being the mom Olympics, that there were, for the first time, so many mothers competing. And I think it's going to be even more so because women mm-hmm. who weren't 
recovered enough who like the timing didn't quite work now have this extra year mm-hmm. so even more so they've decided to come back and give it a shot because they had more time so i would love to see her just kill it same Absolutely. trials will be interesting because i just saw that the canadian swim trials will be in by invite only and when you think of at, at least the u.s event that i've heard of it's just like a huge deal the free-for-all yeah kind of every as many people as make the cut come or can make qualifying times come and they just have a lot of events and it's like a week long thing. Mm -hmm. And now that Canada has gone to, we're really going to only invite the people who have a chance and they're really cutting down on, I think how many qualifying heats that are going to happen. So it's really interesting to think about what trials could possibly look like in a lot of sports. Mm Mm-hmm. And are they going to have more regional events leading up to, like they do in figure skating? You've got all those regionals to make it to nationals. Mm. A lot of other sports don't do that. They just do huge national events because they can. Mm-hmm. And are they going to yeah. switch that format? Or do they just not allow many people to come? Because right. you have, the more events you have, the more chance of spreading COVID you have as well. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting. Yep. Bring on the snow. And the vaccine. That's right. It's coming. It's coming down I-94, it guys. Is. It is coming. It is coming. Uh, thank you both for coming. And happy holidays and happy Olympic year. Yay! Again! <laughs> Yay! Thank you so much, Claire and Sarah. Read Claire's blog, Light the Cauldron, and follow her on Twitter at Cauldron Light. And you can follow Sarah on Twitter and Insta at Sarah Patton TX. We'll have links to both of those in the show notes. And Sarah is spelled with an H. Great, as always, to have them on. Nice good way to, way end to the celebrate. Year. Yes, good way to celebrate the end of the year. Oh. And any any resolutions for 2021? We're going to survive. (laughs) We're going to make it through. It's going to be okay. Right. Light at the end of the tunnel. Well, you know, let's close it out and let's go celebrate, pop some champagne and uh, look forward to a new Olympic year. So it's going to be Tokyo 2020 in 2021. And I am looking forward to it. Can't get here fast enough. That's for sure. Right. Okay. So that will do it for this year. Let us know what you thought of 2020 and what your Olympic hopes and plans are for 2021. Email us at flamealivepod at gmail.com or call our voicemail hotline at 208-FLAME-IT or flamealivepod on Twitter and Insta and keep the Flame Alive podcast group on Facebook. Next week, we will start off our year of Atlanta 1996 with Sarah Dilla from the Atlanta History Center. As we go out to music by Archdale, the Happy New Year. Thank you for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive.
Like, come on, y'all. I need my red, white, and blue M&Ms. I got to make all my treats. 